Well, hello and welcome to episode number 376 of the Plain Talking UK podcast. I'm Carlos and in this week's show, all hail the Emirates Boeing 777. A parent gets in trouble for changing a nappy and we take a look at a virgin in space. In the military, Davis Monson Air Force Base in Arizona gets some new missions. The Russians take a close look up at an American P-8 Poseidon and the Colombian Air Force gets some new planes. And lastly, the Slovenian Air Force signs up for an all-electric trainer aircraft fleet. So joining me this week, as always, unstressed over in the PTUK Master Suite Studios, because I'm not there with him this week, uh, unfortunately. So he's beerless, which is obviously a a horrible thing. You realise that's two weeks in a row now that I've been beerless? But I, I, but I will say, Matt. I will say there are now a very nice, um, a very nice amount of uh, beers in the fridge here. Excellent. You, that's I that's, like I say, that's a great help in your fridge. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> I, I shall bring them round next week. Thank you. Fact. Thank you very much. Much appreciated. It's been one of those weeks this week, and I think mm. we've all had one of those weeks this week. Yeah, we? we certainly have. Yeah, it's been a bit mad. I, I, I'm having to use my over ear headphones this week because my my in ear ones have failed again. So. Uh, Yes, and I'm sorry. Like, do you use a 4G? I know because Carlos's Carlos's home internet has gone poop uh, like since. Yeah. <laughs> yes, and uh, I say producer John is not where he would normally be either, and his internet's letting him down. Oh, well, uh, so we're all we're basically just sitting here and hoping that um, that a my internet uh, holds out because essentially uh, Carlos and I live in the same town, so if there is an issue there, then uh, there could be one on its way for me as well. And the other thing that we're hoping for is the legend that is Sir Armando is not in the middle of some kind of tropical storm again like he was exactly. last week <laughs> uh, unfortunately <laughs> unfortunately this week uh, neville can be with us mr bounds cannot be with us this week he is uh, very busy i think he's, he's whizzing around uh, our capital city at the moment i think or on oh what a treat home. Um, so hopefully you get home safe uh, nev and hopefully he'll be back next week but uh, as uh, matt just said we have hopefully got with us this week um storms um permitting uh the wonderful uh, Broly flying Armando. Hi. <laughs> there, <laughs> I am safe and sound in in the studio. However, there are numerous thunderstorms around us. So if I lose the internet, it should be a great show. Right. Okay. Uh, I, I, I've got visions of me being the only one left at this rate. It's just like... Just leave. <laughs> it's going to be the Matt yeah. talking something or another. That would be a be car crash. That's what it would be. Absolutely. It's, uh, I mean, it's uh, Matt in the chat room. Hey, that sounds like a special. Right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, no, no, no special. Uh, the the, the <laughs> issue there is that it's fine. If, you, if, if I can play a load of music, but we can't do that here. So uh, then I'd be fine. And I can tell you all about the local news and what's going on in the action line. And then I'll play some ads uh, and then it'll all be fine. But uh, yeah, without that in uh, thing. Anyway, I'm sitting here waffling. We've got a very busy show, so we need to get cracking. We have got a busy show this week. Going to say hello to uh, everyone who's joining us in the live chat room this week uh, in the world of YouTube. Going to run through the names quickly. Lee Davies, hello to you, Lee. Been in there since about two o'clock this afternoon, I think. Uh, Richard, three o'clock. Don't be silly. Three o'clock. I love dedication. The dedication. Uh, We have got uh, yeah, Richard Adams, Flyer One Five. To David Corston, hello to you in Spain, David. Hope you are well. Uh, we have got Nick Codling, hello to you, Nick. And uh, scrolling down, Mazus, hello to you, Mazus Karim. Hope you are also very well today, Dirk S. Hello to you, Dirk. 
Uh, Captain Cruz, Masha is also joining us this evening. Tony S. Hello to you, Tony. I'm um, scrolling down. Sturman is also in the chat room. Just a quick mention to everyone listening to the show. Uh, Sturman, who's in the chat room with us this week, is celebrating his 30th birthday tomorrow. So happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Matt, finish off. Happy birthday, here's Sturman. No, no, Matt's he's gone. I'm just, in, I'm just speechless. He's speechless. So happy birthday, <laughs> Sturman. He's 30 tomorrow. He doesn't look a day over 20, I must say. Uh, Armando is also in the chat room with the blue spanner of Doom. Uh, Lane is in the chat room. Always good to have Lane in the chat room to obviously uh, <laughs> to give us loads of amusing words. Uh, we have got Arnie Carlson. Hello to you, Arnie. Uh, good to see you in there as well. And, uh, well, welcome one and all. Don't forget, if you're listening to the show as an audio podcast and you want to join the YouTube stream uh, during the live shows, take yourselves over to YouTube, check out Plain Talking UK, and uh, hit the subscribe button and the bell icon next door to be notified when we're live and recording new episodes. So this week's weekly roundup then. There are loads of news uh, to uh, round up with this week uh, from the week of, well, what has been a busy week in aviation. Uh, some of the, the uh, items that didn't make the cut in uh, headline form this week. So uh, we'll, uh, we've got uh, six Malaysian Airlines A380s are going up for sale. Get your credit cards ready. Uh, United Airlines invests $35 million in 100 Swedish electric aircraft. EasyJet are coming back to East Midlands Airport. That's good news. Uh, BA adds in-seat food and drink orders via smartphones. Uh, Lufthansa will no longer address you as ladies and gentlemen. And the last flying S3B Viking is retired by NASA and will go to the San Diego Air and Space Museum. And, uh, well... With that, uh, shall we start uh, the commercial news then, guys and girls? Oh, blimey. Yes, uh, indeed, yes. Uh, if, if everybody's ready then, let's go. Matt, let's go. Matt loves it. He to turn signals. <laughs> Kicking off this week's first news story, and this comes from the independent uh, Flickr.com, NTSB.gov, and FlightGlobal.com. And uh, this uh, update is showing the pictures uh, from the ditched uh, 737 in Hawaii. Uh, pictures are from the NTSB, and the NTSB are currently investigating the accident. We spoke about this um, last week, and the week before when the news actually broke. Uh, the Federal Aviation Administration has grounded Honolulu-based Rhodes Aviation, which operates uh, a Boeing 737-200. It crashed into the Pacific Ocean uh, after it took off from Honolulu on the 2nd of July. The FAA says the move is separate from its investigation into the crash, stemming instead from a maintenance-related investigation that had been underway prior to the incident. So the pictures that that Matt has put on the screen there. Very clear, I will say. Very, very clear indeed, these pictures. That, um, and you can see, obviously, the front and the rear section of the aircraft. Um, and hopefully, obviously, the tail looks intact. So I'm guessing that uh, the black boxes, the FDR flight data recorder, and the cockpit voice recorder will be uh, very much intact. Um, oh, I'm sure. I'm sure yeah. they'll be able to recover this. Amazing, that airplane... Uh, um, as we said a thousand times already, amazing those guys got out and amazing that it stayed so 
relatively intact after hitting the water at night. So no matter no matter what comes out of the investigation, good job to the pilots for keeping it in uh, absolutely you know one piece. Absolutely keeping it in one piece, as you say. So uh, this one is uh, next one's from Aerotime then, and uh, JetBlue. Uh, this is good news for actually for us. In the, oh, we've got a video. Actually, yes, we have got a video. Uh, there's actually some uh, a cool drone footage. What's this one of Armando? So this is the AN225 taken off from Kiev. Uh, now I've actually never seen this uh, type of footage. I, I think there was one. There was like a 757 that it was taken from an airplane. Uh, air to air photography and uh, Matt's going to play this video out from I believe the two minute mark but this if you haven't seen this on the internet it's amazing and we'll put the uh, links in the show notes but uh, it's an awesome video of the crew I believe it's a Ukrainian crew flying the AN-225 and uh, as you can see from these pictures that the drone is just off the departure end of the runway as this AN-225 is is taking off and they they must have pre-planned at what altitude it, the airplane was going to be at because it's just an amazing video uh, watching that airplane fly by. I can't believe the wake turbulence didn't just knock that drone out of the sky. But uh, yeah, just a, a really cool video and it goes on. I think it's 12 minutes long. Go check it out because the pilot, you can tell, is doing a lot of work. Interestingly enough, I never saw anybody in the left seat doing any work. So I, I, I wonder if they're just letting the, the right seat pilot do all the work. But, yeah, he's uh, he keeps his hands busy. And he lets go of the wheel a couple of times while he's hand flying, which is interesting. But anyway, <laughs> it's an interesting video. It's a probably a cultural training difference. And, hey, you're flying the biggest airplane in the world. Who's going to critique you, right? <laughs> well, yeah, that's true. Who would dare critique you, I think, is the is the statement there. But, uh, yeah, it's a great video. I love that drone footage. It's just absolutely insane, isn't it? Amazing. It's, isn't the, it? it's the stuff of dreams, isn't it? Yeah, it's uh, – oh, my gosh. It looks like you know. it should have been in a film, doesn't it, actually? It looks like, you know, it's, it's a shot from a movie, you know. Yeah, can you imagine, like, our parents being able to see footage like this? Oh, so cool. So mm. cool. So the uh, <coughs> excuse me, moving on to this story from Aerotime uh, dot Aero and uh, JetBlue proving its service from London Heathrow to JFK or from JFK, uh, New York based low cost carrier JetBlue conducted its first test flight to London Heathrow Airport with its brand new A three twenty one Airbus aircraft uh, long range the LR before entering the transatlantic market on August the twenty uh, August twenty twenty one this year. Uh, the general manager of Europe or general manager of Europe of JetBlue, Marja Godazev, tweeted a video clip welcoming. <coughs> oh, I think that's come to me, Matt. I need a beer here. Uh, welcoming its uh, new aircraft registered as November 4022 Juliet to London Heathrow Airport on July the 13th uh, this year. JetBlue will jump into the transatlantic market with nonstop operations from New York JFK to London Heathrow beginning on August the 11th. That's quite handy. Uh, it will then add more destinations to its transatlantic schedule with flights between JFK and London Gatwick starting September the 29th. Uh, the pandemic has opened doors to London's two busiest airports and we look forward to bringing customers low fares and great service at both Heathrow and Gatwick CEO of JetBlue Robin Robin Hayes said at JFK London Heathrow is the single largest international air travel market from the US has long suffered from outrageously high fares for far too long especially in premium cabins 
JetBlue's entrance into the transatlantic service might be bumpy as airlines have been unsuccessful uh, pushing for lifting of government restrictions on transatlantic travel for more than a year. And the timeline of route reopening between the US and the UK has not been set. Additionally, entering the market at such times might be complicated because uh, a newbie in the US and UK international air travel market would need to compete with the well-established market rivals such as BA or Virgin Atlantic. Earlier in April this year, President and Chief Operating Officer of JetBlue Airways, Joanna Geraghty, said the airline was looking forward to the competition as it was preparing for its first flight to the United Kingdom. In response, Virgin Atlantic CEO Shai Weiss said, said our job is to make their lives extremely difficult that's nice of them and provide a level of service that our customers are accustomed to and win in the marketplace uh, welcome to london and let the games begin wise said i think it's all well it's all, it's all good clean family fun banter isn't it i think that's what it is it's uh, we essentially it's their sort of like way of saying we welcome the challenge if you see what i mean yeah it's all going to boil down to price so and you know if you can get a a relatively good product for a for a good price, then you know you're going to try something different. And, Tr- and the trouble is, is I mean, you, you've got, is it is it Prem- Premier who who uh, a Norwegian or someone who who both tried to do transatlantic flights with uh, you know low cost transatlantic flights that just haven't been. They, I don't know whether it's just because they haven't had the bum uh, Primera, sorry, oh, the, Primera, yeah, yeah, um, just haven't had whether it's just they haven't had bums on seats enough or or whatever. But you know, we're all desperate for like a Ryanair equivalent for transatlantic flights, aren't we? But nobody seems to be able to to put it together at the moment. Well, you know, you guys know I was a big fan of the Norwegian product, but I think JetBlue and uh, and Robin Hayes, the CEO, are sitting in a good spot, right? So they've got a pretty expansive network. He just opened Breeze, uh, which is a new airline. So I think he's got a little bit of uh, risk tolerance available to him to, right. to try this out. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But for for me, you know, hey, the more avenues I have to visit you guys, now I can fly JetBlue yeah. from Charlotte to JFK and JFK to London. So Wow. Yeah, and I and I believe uh, since this article was written, I think we're slowly opening up. The UK is slowly opening up to US tourists. Is it? And we, there's, yeah, I think there's still some quarantine Yay. and some testing requirements, but but I do believe that just recently, the uh, US tourists are allowed to go back over. Oh wow, okay. The official yeah. announcement is on the 19th, apparently, we're being told in our ears. Anyway, we better move on, as I say, because we've got a busy old show. Uh, story number two, as always, um, is uh, t- is uh, Ryanair, obviously. And uh, uh, you can always rely on me for your weekly Ryanair update. So two stories have been rolled into one here. Uh, both stores... St- both stories are, are from one is from airlinegeeks.com and the other is from uh, ainonline.com. And the headline is Ryanair opens recruitment drive, aims to hire 2,000 pilots for expanding fleet. In the lead, uh, in the lead as Europe's uh, largest airline, Ryanair has been dominating uh, European countries and markets with its relative, relatively large fleet and lower airfares. And it announced late last year 
that a massive Boeing 737 MAX aircraft uh, order uh, that's totaled to 210 airplanes. Ryanair has already taken delivery of its first Boeing 737 MAX aircraft and an additional 12 are expected well on time for the rising peak of summer air travel this year. Ryanair Group CEO Michael O'Leary described the initial performance of the Boeing 737 MAX 8-200 as fantastic and said that the aircraft has met with glowing reviews from the airline's crew and passengers. Ryanair's first two 737-8200s were jets were operated some 20 passenger flights from the group's bases in London, Stansted, Dublin and Milan. Uh, Load factor averages around 75% at the moment and not uh, one passenger requested to change flights owing to a lack of confidence in the safety of the type, O'Leary said. Uh, Ten 10 more of the Max 8's uh, sub-variant will join the group's fleet in July, O'Leary said. Uh, Between September and April 2022, we are taking delivery of 54 Max game-changer aircraft at roughly 8 aircraft per month. In anticipation for the incoming deliveries, the Dublin-based low-cost carrier announced on Monday about the opening of its recruitment drive for at least 2,000 new aspiring pilots over the next three years. Um, uh, the people uh, people director for Ryanair, Daryl Hughes, said, uh, as we take delivery of more than 210 Boeing 737-8200 game-changer aircraft, Ryanair will recruit 2,000-plus pilots over the next three years to fill positions created by this growth. This is great news for experienced and aspiring pilots, but also for our own pilots who will enjoy fast tracked promotions existing Ryanair pilots will also benefit from this recruitment drive because as part of the airline's career development initiatives internal promotions will allow for current first officers to become captains flying the new aircraft Ryanair isn't the only airline that has opened up recruitment drives with several others such as Delta Airlines and Cathay Pacific uh, having done so as well in the past month as everyone prepares for recovery of air travel i mean i'm really i'm i i do wonder like you were saying nobody's uh sort of wanted to change uh aircraft here and i do wonder you know is it because they knew that it was a max essentially that they were flying on i mean who knows uh we or- should we just I like his style, which is we just shan't call it a Max. No, we'll just call it the eighty-two hundred. The eighty-two hundred. See if anyone notices. Yes. <laughs> well, what, in the article when he called it the Max Game Changer, yeah. I immediately pictured uh, <laughs> Ryanair selling like scratch-off tickets now called the called the Max Changer <laughs> in this stroke of irony, right? Like we're just we're just gonna sell Max Game Changer scratch-off tickets. Yeah. What what yeah. what could possibly go wrong? Yeah. Hey, <laughs> talking about what could possibly go wrong, I I will always caution an airline that like Ryanair uh, that uses a mix of employed pilots and contract <laughs> pilots of upgrading people too quick. That that is yeah. an absolute danger. We have very very different rules here in the U.S. Um, I don't know what the right answer. There's probably a, a middle ground. But it, uh, you can end up in the right seat of a 737 uh, fairly early in your career. And I, 
I always kind of cringe a little bit when they're talking about fast track upgrades or mm. or an airline expire, expanding so fast that they're going to do these upgrades because a lot of these uh, the Ryanair EasyJet captains, they've jumped from a general aviation aircraft into the sim, got a type rating. They're now in a 737. There was no such thing as regionals. It's a big airplane. It's a lot to handle when things go wrong. And I just as this is my own personal opinion as a professional pilot that that there may be such a thing as upgrading people too quick. So I don't know. We'll see how it turns out. Interesting. I'm, you know, that's yeah. just me. Interesting. Although I think it's worth also noting uh, the fact, as Nick said in the chat room there, it's so nice to have a relatively good news story from Ryanair, which I think is, that's quite refreshing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He says trying to make the mood a bit light. That's obviously backfired. <laughs> uh, oh, well, never mind. I, I completely get I, I get where you're coming from, though, Armando. I mean, this is the thing, isn't it? It's just like sometimes, you know, there almost ought to be like a minimum amount of time that you've been you know the first officer before you even vaguely qualify for upgrading to be a captain yeah and i i don't know their internal processes there may be some kind of vetting process uh, because age is just a thing right it's just a number uh hours to be honest is just a number but as long as it's a a merit-based upgrade system yet there has to be some kind of quantifiable like line that you cross to to upgrade i mean you can't you can't here in the u i know i know we're short on time but here in the u.s you can't be a captain of a part 135 that's like a nine seat commuter airplane until you have 1200 hours absolute minimum and uh and even from then you can't be in the right seat of a a transport category aircraft until you have 1500 hours and an atp um here so very, very different rules. I don't know. Like I said, there's yeah. probably a middle ground that, that's that's correct. So. I, I have it on good authority that it's merit-based at Ryanair, apparently. So uh, but quite yeah, what that means, I, I don't know. I think a blended know. mix of, yeah. of merit yet, you know, like a, a quantifiable yeah. number. Merit versus experience, maybe. Is that the right word, experience? Something like that. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, we better yeah. move on. Um, right. Moving on. Speaking of pilots and airlines, uh, this next one is actually from Bloomberg.com. This has to do with Delta Airlines. So Delta was actually sued for more than a billion dollars by one of its own pilots who claimed that he developed a text messaging app for flight crews and that the airline stole that as uh, and used it as a basis, a basis for its own app. So Captain Craig Alexander sued Delta Airlines for trade secrets theft in, in a Georgia state court this last Monday. He claims that he spent $100,000 of his own money to develop his, what he called, Crew Live app, which he pitched to the airline as a new way to address crew communication failures after disrupted flights. Now, uh, Delta turned him down, but then went on to launch its own identical tool, according to him. Now, Delta spokesperson said that they take the allegations specified in Mr. Alexander's complaint seriously They are not an accurate or fair description of Delta's development of its internal crew messaging platform. So the uh, the CEO and the CIO um, and a couple other executives at Delta are both are named in this in the lawsuit. Um, I think it's a total of six executives. Now, Alexander, the pilot, he claims that he had several positive meetings with the airline 2015, 2016, which made executives uh, it made clear that they were interested in acquiring this app, but Delta eventually c- 
cut off these discussions, launched its own crew app in uh, April of 2018 called the Flight Family Communications. Now, according to the lawsuit, FFC, or Flight Family Communications, is a carbon copy knockoff of the role-based text messaging component of Craig's proprietary crew live communications platform. Now, in a twist, he could actually face quite the challenge pursuing his claims as a Delta employee, as companies typically own the rights to anything produced by their workers. In his suit, Captain Alexander stressed that he put in his own time and resources into the app, into Crew Life, and that Delta indicated that it would be willing to purchase the app from him on the same terms as they would have from an outside vendor. So I don't have a dog in the fight. Uh, <laughs> I I don't side with Delta. I don't side with with the Captain, but kind of an interesting little you know battle going on inside delta here so an, in, an interesting uh, uh sort of uh, comment that i can add to this actually is uh when i but going along with what you were saying there armando i set up a website for a company that i was working for um and the domain name that uh that was bought and everything by by myself to set that up um uh again uh lots of nasty letters going backwards and forwards and essentially the end result of that was literally what you said there was the fact that because i set it up even though i set set it up in my own time because i worked for the company at the time therefore it was the company's property and not mine yeah so i would be i mean i i you know I, I always I, I always side with the with the underdog on 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 this one but uh you know so i'd very much like like him to win but i suspect they won't yeah, uh, Captain yeah. Cruz is saying in the chat room, actually, can apps be patented or only the source code? That's an interesting point, actually. I don't, uh, I, I don't know enough about it, to be honest with you. Uh, I know you can copyright sort code, source code, and I guess you can patent an app if it's something that's very unique. But I, that that may be your challenge. That may be I your challenge. Is proving it. Yes, that is a good point. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yes, but contractual arrangements mean that you two can't uh, be on any more than about five shows together a year. I think. Yeah. 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 <laughs> okay. On so to the next on story. To the next story. This one comes to us from Aviation Twenty Four BE, and uh, headline: Emirates Triple Seven damaged by hail. Uh, an Emirates Boeing 777-300 registration Alpha 6 Echo Charlie Foxtrot performing flight EK205 from Milan Malpensa, Italy to New York JFK was climbing out of Milan's runway 17 right when the aircraft threw, uh, flew through a hailstorm and received hail impact damage to its nose cone and windshield, which was cracked, and also engine inlets and wings. The crew stopped the climb at flight level 210, dumped fuel and returned to Malpensa for a safe landing on runway 35 left around 90 minutes after the departure. Uh, in a statement, Emirates said Emirates EK205 had returned uh, to Milan shortly after takeoff due to adverse weather conditions. The flight landed without incident in Milan and passengers and crew were safely disembarked. Uh, all affected passengers were accommodated and rebooked on subsequent services the following day and no injuries were reported, Emirates have said. Now that is some fairly hefty damage i'm going to say especially with the windshield as well the the the, the um, one that that's the most shocking for me actually is that one there so just uh i'm if you could perhaps just describe that to the people who wow. are listening uh 
uh, on the audio version of the show. I mean, that, so that's the nose cone, isn't it? Um, yeah, so the, the radome is usually made out of composite materials as opposed to the rest of a 777, which is mostly metal. And it, I mean, it looks like they flew through this thing and it, one, took the paint right off that composite and two, created a pre- pretty significant hole at the very tip of the, the radome. Now that that would not affect the pressurization, not that they were that high anyways. That is outside of the pressure vessel of the airplane. So it, it wouldn't like depressurize the airplane, but that is some significant damage. That must, must have been a, uh, as I always say, a significant emotional experience getting pelted that hard that you see the windshield cracking uh, before your very eyes. That I don't know in the 777 how many layers. It's usually, you know, seven, eight, nine layers of of glass and and films and all that stuff so it's not probably not going to crack all the way but they they seriously took some damage and and what they're not showing or i didn't see in the pictures is is the fan blades so the airplane itself took a pretty significant thumping uh from the hail but but the leading edges the fan blades the engine oh my gosh it, it uh yeah dirt dirt in the chat room says you have to throw some stuff really hard to take, to do that to the windshield. Mm. I completely agree. Indeed. Uh, I don't know if you can see the damage damage there. That's we've, we have got a shot of the, uh, the, uh, yeah, you can see Randy in the cell, the engine, the cell is fairly, yeah, I'm just fairly trying, dented. yeah. Producers just made a suggestion. I'm going to have a go at, uh, yeah, you can, you can tell it. It's yeah, taking howling is, um, yeah. yeah, clearly damaged, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. There we go. At least, the, at least the cowling is. Yeah, indeed. I didn't know I could do that. That was fun. <laughs> we, might, we might use that. We might use that function again. <laughs> there we go. Because you uh, don't. Because you don't have enough to do, Matt. No, that's true. Uh, Lane suggests <laughs> that we need to thaw the chicken uh, in future. I think uh, if we're, if we're going to do something like that, no, quite. Uh, yeah. Have you li- seen those videos? I love those videos where they <laughs> chuck a frozen chicken into the windshield. Into the wind- yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Just to see what happens to it. Uh, Lee is suggesting also that it might. That it's it's fine. It'll just buff out. Yeah. Uh, a bit of tea cut. Yeah, be fine. a bit of tea cut and polish. It'll be absolutely mm. fine. What could what could possibly go wrong? Hey. Anyway, we'll move on to the next story. Uh, this is from the Washington Post. <laughs> I love this, and also the New York Post, <laughs> and. Um, Yes, interesting headline here. Woman is duct taped to her seat after trying to open plane door mid-flight, the airline says. So a woman was duct taped to her seat, uh, to an aeroplane seat last night, after she allegedly attacked the flight crew and tried to open the door of the aircraft in mid-flight. A video posted on uh, social media showed the grey-haired woman with silver duct tape over her mouth and her arms and body seemingly taped to the seat. She could be heard screaming you, you, you at passengers excited, uh, ex- exited American Airlines flight 1774 past uh, her, according to the footage by uh, TikTok user um, uh, at lol.arriee if you want to look it up. Um uh, the alleged incident occurred an hour into the uh, two-hour fl- uh, July 6th flight from Dallas-Fort Worth to Charlotte, uh, which had 
been delayed for at least three hours before it finally departed at midnight. Uh, American Airlines confirmed the incident, telling the Post the woman assaulted and bit a flight attendant after she attempted to open the uh, the forward boarding door uh, and was restrained for the safety and security of other customers and our crew. Emergency personnel met the flight on the ground in Charlotte and took the uh, woman to a local hospital, said the airline, who placed her on Americans' internal no-fly list pending an, an investigation. And uh, the next story... Uh, this is news.com.au. Sorry, I'm being told something. We'll do. Uh, sorry, I, I I lost you there for a moment, John. I think we're uh, I, we we want to talk about it. I think really. I mean, uh, I, I mean, part of me part of me is almost fed up with these stories now. Do you know what I mean? Because it's like um, it just keeps happening again and again, doesn't it? This this is the thing. It's like people doing silly things, and what wh- why is it so hard? to um you know listen to the cabin crew and do as you're told uh now i think uh producer john is about to pop a picture up of how they restrained the uh the lady um i mean that that's some good gaffer taping right there um i'm not sure if uh, the gaffer tape over the mouth is a sensible idea there there could be some uh you know <laughs> some serious yeah, the, issues the, there the chat room is asking where they get the duct tape from it's like it's an airplane there's always duct tape of course yeah, you, you, I mean, <laughs> how I, do you fix all the things speed tape I can say, isn't that the theory isn't it like if you can't mend it with duct tape it's basically just throw it away yeah, yeah. R.E. Ryanair EasyJet <gasps> I'm just kidding how I'm just kidding I'm just kidding no that I you know you know what's cool about these stories is every week we do one and yeah. it's just interesting all the different methods that the that the cabin crew is using to <laughs> restrain passengers like duct tape to the seat like that's anybody who went to college that was like that the the rushing process for your fraternity like you've been there or if you've graduated air force pilot uh, training you you were also duct taped to a chair right uh, at okay. some point in your, in your yeah uh, uh, lee davis has suggested that that is perhaps first class in ryanair uh, being duct taped to a seat i mean there are people out there who would enjoy that I, I, I remember. No I remember my last day when I, at work at Clay's when I when I left there. They shrunk wrapped my my push bike. Did they with an with an entire oh, right, with yeah. an entire reel of shrink wrap? That's actually hilarious. It wasn't. That's, yeah, <laughs> I think it was. That's quite funny. You'd had a you'd had a sense of humour bypassed by that point, though. To be fair, Carlos. oh yeah, <laughs> yeah you very much had enough by that point. Uh, oh dear. But no, the, these are these stories, stories going to go away though? Because I mean, I'm yeah. I, I'm actually kind of bored of them now, and not in a, not in a bad way. I'm just I'm just like you know, we shouldn't have to we shouldn't have to be having these conversations now. You know, I mean. You know the crew are there to make sure that that we're safe, and you it's know. almost like it's almost like we haven't we haven't flown for so long that you know people have just lost their ability to act respect respect for yeah. them. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I, 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 I just wonder how much how much of this happened before social media, before we all had phones and everything to record it. I mean, would we have ever known? I guess we wouldn't have a podcast, <laughs> but we would we would would we have ever known that a, a flight turned around? halfway to dallas fort worth to charlotte to because a woman got duct tape i don't know 
Probably not. Yeah, no, indeed. Arnie was suggesting that, you know, they should consider themselves very lucky that they weren't duct taped to the wing, wing outside, which is probably just as well. But it's just, it's that whole trying to open the door thing. You know, I mean, I, I don't have an yeah. issue with what the cabin crew did. I, I, you know, I mean, maybe not the gaffer tape round the mouth. Uh, that's the only thing, because I mean, not, not being funny, if that person had breathing difficulties or something like that, that could be quite an, a, quite that's a potential quite painful issue. If but, if duct tape well, no, is no, 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 really no, no, fairly no, no, good no. stuff. No, I'm, I don't have an issue with, with any pain that may have been inflicted on. <laughs> On, on the passenger because the passenger was essentially potentially endangering everybody you know i know we've had this conversation before about where you know it's it is basically almost impossible to open that door while you're in flight um everybody around me is laughing their heads off at something i'm not quite sure what's going on i assume it's chat room related is it no no we were saying that you don't mind the pain part of it oh i see all right okay no 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 no, they, no, no but they deserve punishment Spoken like a true interrogator <laughs> absolutely bring it on bring on the so Arnie, Arnie is asking, you know, did you have this in Europe? I think we've done our fair share of, of Ryanair and EasyJet punch-ups. Oh, so. yeah. Jet 2. So I think they're all over two. the world. Right? We haven't had yeah. a Jet 2 one for a long while. Yeah. That's, that's because most of their flights are grounded at the moment. True. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, indeed. So next story, next story then, uh, number Oh, the next part of the story, yeah. sorry. Uh, yes, story. Uh, it's we're not doing very well here, are we? John's having to very much step in a lot this evening. Uh, anyway, uh, this is uh, news.com.au, and the headline is Mum Told Airline Put Her on No-Fly List. Uh, it's on the No-Fly uh, List uh, over Nappy Change. Oh, dear. <laughs> Seattle woman uh, Farah Naz Khan, 34, said that she was humiliated by the incident which might have landed her on Mesa Airlines' no-fly list for allegedly creating a biohazard after changing her child's nappy on Friday's flight from Kalispell, uh, Montana, to Houston in Texas. Uh, she was flying with her husband and one-year-old daughter, uh, sharing her story on Twitter. Miss Khan said that during the flight she went with her daughter to a changing station at the back of the plane and after changing her put the dirty nappy in a scented bag and disposed of it in the lavatory bin. As she headed back to her seat she was confronted by a male flight attendant who said that who who said uh, who who she said yelled at her saying did you just dispose of a diaper back there that's a biohazard Miss Khan a diaper to, told um uh, nbc news uh she said uh she was made to return and fish it fish through the bin to retrieve her daughter's nappy which she put in a garbage bag and um it's a garbage bag and uh took uh with her back to the seat uh sorry my one note is playing up here where i'm really struggling with i'll I'll jump in and save you as someone with a child yes like where else are you supposed to put it? And and I guarantee so there is a there is a diaper changing table yes. in the lab. It's right. a little thing, it folds down, right? And that's where you change your kid and you're already in a yeah. a, a two foot by two foot little closet trying to change a, a child that's peeing and pooping everywhere. <laughs> and like what what are you supposed to do with it, right? You're Taking it back to the seat is the worst thing that you can. Now you're you, now you've just made eight best friends for the people that's that are sitting around you with a dirty diaper, a dirty stinky diaper. And you know what? 
I'm surprised she didn't just put it in the in the seat back pocket. Right. Well, yeah, I, I don't blame her really. Anyway, she's saying that she was made to return the fish to re- retrieve uh, her daughter's nappy, which uh, she put in a garbage bag and t- uh, took with her back to a seat and uh, took it with her off the plane once in Houston. Miss Khan said that she said also said a second flight attendant told her she hadn't done anything wrong, but things took an even more bizarre turn. Um, uh, took an even more bizarre turn uh, just hours bizarre. after the flight uh, Miss Khan said that she filed customer ser- the uh, cu- customer service incident report after landing and later that day she got a mobile call uh, f- mobile phone call from the flight attendant. I recognised the voice Miss Khan told NBC News he said uh, due to a biohazard incident on the plane today we've placed you on the no fly list <laughs> she also accused the flight attendant of of using profanities during the call. He said, you people bring your children everywhere. Don't you know that some people just want a peaceful flight and don't want to listen to your effing children? Miss Khan said. She also allegedly said, uh, uh, he also allegedly said to her, I hear your obnoxious daughter in the background. Miss Khan said that she didn't quite believe what she was actually hearing um, and uh, couldn't believe that she'd been put on the no-fly list because she was... Uh, able to fly back to Houston just a few days later. She said that she heard from United Airlines, which uses Messer Airlines to operate regional services, but the uh, but the conversations were unsatisfying uh, because the airline was unable to say how the flight attendant got her phone number or whether he had been disciplined. In a statement, Messer spokesman said that the details, as described by our customer, do not meet the high standards that Messer sets out for our flight attendants, and we are reviewing this matter. I mean, having spent my miss, you know, the misfortune of spending it near friends who do have a one-year-old child. I mean, I get where, in, in one way, I get where the cabin crew member is coming from because, uh, especially at that age, what does come out of them is a biohazard. There's no two ways about that. It's a, it's a unique experience, I think, for for yeah, anyone. But weren't that. we all one? weren't weren't, weren't we all one-year-old biohazard producers at some point? Like. Yes. Where did his yes, mom yes. put that, that, put true. his nappies? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I guarantee you, she guarantee you, she left it in a public bathroom somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Indeed. I'm with so Masha and I completely are on the same page. Sounds like this flight attendant had some personal problems. Yes, I. You know, we've talked about it before. Cabin crew, flight attendants, they're people too. They have good days, they have bad days. Sometimes yeah. you're at the end of a three day trip, four day trip, and you're just tired. You're a misanthrope. You yeah. just don't like people, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You are just there because yeah. it's your go-home leg. And yeah. uh, I get it. We have bad days. But sometimes yeah. you can cross the line as a crew member. Captain Cruz is actually jumping to def- defense a little bit here, saying there must be a lot more to this story than we hear from the lady only, which which is a good point, to be fair. We haven't actually heard the cabin crew member's side of the story. There was an interesting comment there from Dirk S., I think, actually, as well, if you can find that for me, please, John. Says, so it's be- And I agree with this, actually. So this, this is the bit that I can't get my head around. So it was better to essentially drag said biohazard through the whole airplane rather than leave it at the back in a in a in a tram i mean it's a very it's a you know it's it's a, a highly uh, odd thing to ask someone to do that that's the that's my issue but again i suppose we have to play devil's advocate here don't we because we only have her side of the story um, so normally so, normally flight attendants are really good when it they're comes normally to very tolerant they're normally incredible with children no. actually 99 percent of the time yeah no, literally 99 99.5 yeah. 
percent of the time. They're incredible people that put up with a, an amazing amount of boop and boop. right yes. they, in the literal they, and physical sense. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and you know what? The best people to hang out with at a party are cops, flight attendants, and doctors because they all oh have the these, stories the I can stories. only imagine. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Right. Let's all write a book, shall we? Yeah. Lovely. Okay. Anyway, we better get going because I dare say we're massively Go running on, late now. Okay. So. Uh, this next story is another feel-good story after that last one. So from environmentalleader.com, <laughs> which is uh, where we get all of our aviation news. So Pittsburgh International Airport became the first airport in the world to be completely powered by natural gas and solar energy as part of its new live microgrid. This first-of-its-kind microgrid increases the resilience and maximizes public safety, and it makes Pittsburgh one of the most uh, site-hardened airports in the world. That's kind of like independent, right? So this is the second major piece of news this week regarding airports and sustainability. Just yesterday, JetBlue expanded its use of sustainable aviation fuels at LAX. Uh, Airports across the country have been exploring ways to increase power resilience and reliability after several high-profile powder outages that resulted in thousands of canceled flights and passenger disruptions. Pittsburgh is hoping to become the smartest airport in the world through its new terminal project, which I've seen in person. Um, I was Pittsburgh-based for about six months. Um, and this uh, this new implements, which are, include a smart power infrastructure. So the power generated at, at Pittsburgh is the primary supply for the entire airport, including the terminals, the airfield, the Hyatt Hotel, which is there on the airfield, and a Sunoco gas station, which is where right where you return the cars. The airport will remain connected to the traditional electric grid as an option for emergency or backup power if needed, but this microgrid will generate power in part through an on-site natural gas well and 9,360 solar panels across eight acres on the airfield. So the Allegheny County Airport Authority Board of Directors in 2019 awarded this People's Natural Gas, uh, uh, People's Natural Gas, which is a company, uh, a 20-year contract to build, maintain, and operate the microgrid at no cost to the airport. In addition to boosting power resiliency and redundancy, this microgrid will achieve savings on electricity costs for the airport and its tenants, which you can imagine are just absolutely astronomical. Astronomical. So. Good job to Pittsburgh. It's uh, I have a special place in my heart for the Pittsburgh airport. When I was a kid, my dad was working at U.S. Airways, and we used to go up to Pittsburgh quite a bit when they opened up their new terminal. I think it's 1993, 94, something like that. And I remember it, it, Pittsburgh being one of the the uh, like like people used to go to Disney World and go to Space Mountain and think, oh my God, this is the future. That's what I thought about Pittsburgh airport. And it, over the years, it just kind of just kind of decline and became a little bit outdated. Uh, by the time I ended up there as an airline pilot, it, it, it was showing a little bit of its age. So this new Pittsburgh airport rejuvenation pro- project and, and their sustainability efforts are uh, awesome. So I'm hoping to see Pittsburgh rise like a Phoenix. I like it. You should go to Charles de Gaulle airport. Now that is an airport that really does show its age. Anyway, moving swiftly on. (laughs) (laughs) Next story is that, well, we're going up to space for this next story. I think uh, most of us uh, watched the footage on Sunday. I'm guessing, did uh, did you guys watch the footage on Sunday? uh, Uh, I did. I I I did, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I was watching it. Yeah, I was on the radio at the time. I I I actually had it on while I was on the radio. 
because it was fascinating uh, yes. stuff. Yeah. Did you did you watch it on the chat? This is uh, from EarthSky.org. Sir Richard Branson goes to space, or does he? So we can be sure of one thing. When Virgin Galactic owner Richard Branson successfully rocketed to space on July the 11th, uh, other billionaires were watching. In particular, Jeff Bezos, founder of Amazon, owner of the Washington Post, and owner of the suborbital space flight services company Blue Origin. And there's certainly a certain rivalry between uh, those guys. Blue Origin posted a colorful chart uh, shown uh, of the company's Twitter just two days before Virgin Galactic's 11th of July flight, highlighting some differences between its own rocket and that of Virgin Galactic. The chart compares the rocket's vehicle types down to their window sizes and points to an intentionally recognisable boundary to space, or an internationally recognisable boundary of space, called the Kármán line. Uh, the issue is that international law doesn't have a definition for the edge of space. So different countries and companies use different definitions. The U.S. military and the Federal Aviation Administration and NASA all set boundary of space at 50 miles or 80 kilometers above ground. The Federal uh, Federation Aeronautique Internationale or FAI, an international record keeping body for aeronautics, defines the Kármán line as the space boundary at an altitude of 62 miles or 100 kilometers. On July the 11th, uh, Branson flew with five other passengers on Virgin Galactic Spaceship 2 plane named uh, VSS Unity. Uh, team members celebrated a live broadcast in this, as the space plane reached its final altitude of more than 53 miles. Uh, Spaceflight uh, now called it an edge-of-the-seat suborbital test flight intended to demonstrate its company's air-launched space plane. It's ready for passengers who can afford the ultimate thrill ride. But the flight did not pass the Kármán line. Of course, there is no physical boundary between Earth's atmosphere and outer space, so the definition is open to interpretation. That definition, though, is important for legal and regulatory purposes uh, for both aircraft and spacecraft. Bezos' Blue Origin flight will take him above the Kármán line to a planned altitude of 62 miles above Earth, and the capsule named uh, New Shepard will have parachutes which will deploy and float down at around 16 miles an hour. The capsule's safety features include backup systems, specially designed seats uh, to help design flex and, uh, flex and absorb uh, impacts, and the ability to land with only two of its three parachutes deployed and a rocket to adjust the thrust and slow the capsule down about one mile to about one mile an hour. Uh, Bezos did finally congratulate uh, Branson and wish him well shortly before Branson's 11th of July flight. And Bezos himself isn't expected to launch on 20th of July at 9 a.m. Eastern daily, uh, daily time or subject to change. Uh, yeah. It's. Uh, I, I did watch this. I watched the uh, from the start to uh, to the end, and it was that the. I think the the whole the whole uh, the video footage of the actual the flight itself was fantastic. Um, I know it annoyed quite a few of us the fact that they didn't broadcast the actual um, uh, the aircraft itself taking off. The take off, yeah, annoyed, annoyed quite a few people, and also their choice of hosts was interesting for that particular program um say no more uh but it was good and i i richard branson's one of these people that that i've followed on his socials for a long while and uh he is he is a you know he's a 
it's an interesting chap, I will say, but he, you know, he had a dream and he's, he's completed his dream. And obviously don't forget as well that, um, obviously he named, uh, I think it was the, the mothership after his, um, his own mother, uh, yeah. who passed away, Eve. Yeah. Who passed away. So now, um, you know, I'm going to pop a, Go a gra- I'm going to pop a graphic up here if that's okay. I'm under. Mm. I wonder if you could sort graphic of away. I- I- explain this for uh, those that are listening uh, on the podcast. What we're referring to here is this sort of the upper atmosphere, sort of you know what is technically classed as space. Uh, this is great. I can't see the graphic, man. Okay, Cause, right. Because I'm on the show. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Troposphere. Okay. Yeah, you know, I think if you if you go to any science book, you're probably going to find these different definitions of, you know, yeah, stratosphere, mesosphere, the Kármán line at, at 62 miles and thermosphere, exosphere. That's that's what the graphic is, is showing, basically from the Earth's surface all the way up to 6,200 miles. Um, I'm not going to be too much of a naysayer on this. You know, this is, I feel like nitpicking this one is like saying to the Wright brothers, yeah, but you had a 17-knot headwind. So <laughs> did you did you really fly an airplane or did you just fly a kite, right? I mean, they were they were revolutionary. The, yeah. the fact that he accomplished this is an amazing thing. I sent you guys on our on our private chat. I sent you some pictures. I had the opportunity to be at Spaceport America. I oh, was yeah. in the facility uh, where Virgin Galactic is is uh they don't produce the aircraft there, but they but that's where they mate the 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 mothership plus the spacecraft together, and then they and I landed. Uh, this is actually pretty funny. I landed on this runway. I think it's like sixteen thousand feet, eighteen thousand feet. I, I flew in in a Cessna one seventy two. So if you there is only one taxiway, and it's in the middle. So as you as you get to the approach end of the runway, which is a good three miles away from the taxiway, I, I, I got to about 50 feet and I, and I looked over at the guy in the right seat and I said, do you really want to land or do you just want to float down the, let's just float down the runway. So we just kept the little power and yeah, it's, it's a, uh, okay. So John says it's, it's 12, 12,000 foot runway. So yeah. So you get a, a whole mile before the, the, the approach end threshold and the taxiway. And, uh, we flew that, <laughs> But it, I think it's just amazing, you know, to, to have a, a private operator do this harks back to those original days of aviation where you had just, you know, these two bicycle makers that had a dream. They pursued it. They were able to make it happen. It wasn't the governor, the governor, the government. Um, you know, I, I also think it will only get better from here. Right. In order to get somewhere, you have to take a first step. And this was a great first step uh, towards uh, commercial space travel and application. Alex has a question for you in the chat room. Say, Armando, I hope you did your performance calculations. That sounds like a tight landing. <laughs> yeah. I could have I could have knocked out my whole currency for like the, the whole next three months by landing and taking off on that <laughs> runway. Being cap, Captain Kangaroo all the way from the approach end to the to the taxiway. Yeah, civilian space is no longer a virgin, says Captain Cruz. That's quite clever, actually. I quite like that. Yeah. I mean, they, they um, did. They done the whole weightless thing, you know. When, they did, when, yeah, briefly. Uh, I, I, I did pop that. Little, yeah, I did pop that, that 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 part of the video up. Actually, unfortunately, as you you know, absolutely typical. The, the technology let them down a bit there because it all broke up a bit at that point. Mm. But you could just make out yeah. that they were 
they were sort of weightless and stuff so uh, uh, armando i'm sorry to fire this particular question at you I, i'm a bit uh, so sturman says uh, i can see space from earth i, I don't know if that counts um but um uh, the, so, forgive my naivety here so what richard branson and bezos are doing here how do, how does that compare uh, what what are the main differences between that and the spacex project because because that's presumably privately funded as well no spacex is uh spacex is private but but spacex is launching is using what they're doing is selling launch positions right so if you have a technology that you want to put up into space a satellite or something like that that's kind of the the market that they're going after they're going after these these uh cost-effective reusable um space vehicles to to actually launch something into orbit now what what bezos and and branson are doing are commercializing space so can you take a space plane right and i think eventually this may lead to you know, as we're on this verge of, of supersonic travel again with, with Boom and, and some of these other manufacturers, we, we may get to the point where we have a space, a space plane, right? A, an actual space plane, just like the old 1970s comedy movies where <laughs> we're, we're going to launch an airplane from, I don't know, North Carolina, and it's going to land in New Delhi in, you know, 45 minutes. It, again, I, I just think... In order to get to that point where you have commercial space travel and 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 untrained astronauts, or or I guess uh, inexperienced, uh, I don't know, yeah, basic, yeah, yeah. basically trained astronauts, uh, you know, you got you got to start somewhere and don't yeah don't, don't nitpick it. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. What, what I, are the I, I don't, I don't, was it two hundred thousand dollars? Two hundred fifty thousand dollars. Two hundred fifty thousand. Yeah, it's oh, not fine. that bad, right? I mean, sell your Matt, house. Matt, if you if you were given the chance, Matt, to to, to go up and have a go at what uh, uh, Mr. Oh, Richard Branson done on the weekend, would you would you have a go? I know you don't want to do a skydive, but just <laughs> silence. I think his speed no. is frozen. <laughs> <laughs> but you're not you're not skydiving. You're in a you're in a in an aircraft or a spacecraft. So you you know you are. No, it doesn't. I love it. From bristolairport.co.uk. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Next story. (laughs) Well, we'll crowdfund that one, guys. Just kidding. Um, Let's start start with the skydive. Let's not. (laughs) (laughs) Moving on, please. Moving on. Moving on, please. All right, then. The the internet is really terrible and bungy. Isn't it terrible? Isn't it awful? (laughs) Keep spreading. Anyway. Oh, dear. Sounds like an O2 signal. Anyway, Matt, you've got the next story, Bristol. Have I? Oh, crikey. Right, okay, hang on. Uh, Sorry, I've been mucking about and now I'm completely behind. (laughs) Bear with me. Okay, right. So, uh, yeah, so the the bristolairport.co.uk and uh, also uh, pictures from Facebook, actually, uh, which we're about to pop up here. Mass balloon launch takes uh, to North Somerset skies from Bristol Airport. This one is definitely for Mr. Grant McCarran. more than 30 balloons were launched from Bristol Airport last Friday in a historic, record-breaking mass ballooning competition. 
um the uh sorry we're, we're on the wrong screen so just bear with me a moment uh because uh, carlos waving around is driving me nuts uh, the mass balloon event run by exclusive ballooning saw hot air balloons take off by special permission from bristol airport runway as they competed in a hare and hounds race which is the first balloon to land closest to the lead balloon andrew holly operations director at exclu- of exclusive ballooning said what a fabulous morning for record for breaking a record i've always wanted to fly the exclusive club uh, competition from bristol international airport we saw a unique opportunity for a mass ascent from the airfield and with the full support of um with uh, north somerset council we uh, w- we all took off this morning from the end of the runway uh, from the end of runway 27 the whole experience was amazing surreal and one of the most memorable flights that we've ever done we're delighted we've been able to break the record for the largest mass ascent of an uh, from an international airport runway and we uh, cannot thank the teams and at the council and bristol Air international airport enough for their help and support Dave Lee's CEO, Bristol Airport, said the region has a long and strong relationship with the hot air ballooning community from award winning events to hot air balloon design and manufacturer. And we were delighted to play our part in today's mass ascent. Prior to the event, the launch sites had to be kept under wraps, even from the pilots to remain within the COVID guidelines and ensure that the event could proceed safely. And I guess the reason why they had to keep it very much under wraps is purely and simply because i mean something like that you you know you you you'd want to go and see that wouldn't you and i guess the the reason for keeping it under wraps is to make sure that there wasn't suddenly thousands and thousands of people all rock up there i guess isn't it actually they've started doing them in around our area again matt i saw the uh, the virgin hot air balloon uh, just over the Waveney Valley. Uh, oh, really? This week, so yeah, yeah. So oh. again, doing balloon flights. So, well, I yeah. suppose yes. You know, Always amazing to see those in the air. It is absolutely yeah. Oh, we we do see quite a lot of them around here, don't we? Because of mm. uh, purely because of that. So it sounds like Bristol is full of hot air. Says Alex Robinson. Thanks, Alex. <laughs> 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 Ain't that the truth? Um, so Armando, you've got uh, the next story, and it's it's kind of a um, an update, I suppose, really, to a story we ran a few weeks back. Yeah, we talked about this just because it was just a kind of a unique thing, and we said we would we would do a follow up. So the AAIB has released the cause of this uh, British Airways seven eighty seven nose gear incident, nose gear collapse incident. So this happened last month on a stand while cargo was being loaded onto this uh, seven eighty seven. It suffered uh, this nose gear retraction while on the ground at London Heathrow uh, after engineers. It turns out incorrectly installed the locking pins during maintenance work for a deferred defect. Now that comes straight from the report from the air accidents investigation branch. So the jet was parked at stand 583 at uh, Heathrow and it was due to fly a cargo only flight to Frankfurt. The incident occurred while engineers were carrying out a dispatch deviation guide uh, procedure to clear maintenance messages relating to an existing, I love, I love safety reports, acceptable deferred defect, an ADD linked with a solenoid valve for the landing gear doors. The retraction 
caused damage to the lower nose. The landing gear doors, the engine cowlings, door two left also struck the top of these uh, the air stairs that were attached to the airplane, and the door was ripped off as a result. So this DDG procedure required the cockpit landing gear selection lever to be cycled with hydraulic power applied to the aircraft. Uh, to prevent landing gear from retracting, the procedure required the locking pins to be inserted in the nose and main gear downlocks. However, according to the AAIB, the nose gear pin was inserted into an adjacent hole to the correct location. So an airworthiness directive has been had been issued January of last year, which covered the installation of an insert over this tiny little uh, hole, or it looks like a bushing, uh, to, pre- to prevent the incorrect installation of the nose gear landing pins. However, this directive had a 36-month compliance requirement uh, associated with it, and the and BA still had yet to uh, implement it on the incident aircraft. So it's just a, I mean, this is this is probably a $3 pin that, that has, uh, it's a happy little home inside the nose gear. And, and from the pictures that the AAIB released, it looked like, it didn't look like it fit correctly in there. So these aircraft mechanics should have seen that it was either loose in there or not, not snug and, and maybe tip them off that perhaps it wasn't the right location for that, that locking pin. But it's, it's amazing. We had the same thing on, on the DC three. There are these two pins. It's just a, a little steel hook that goes into the, uh, the landing gear struts and where it meets the fuselage. And all it is, is is just a, you know, a quarter inch hole with a, with a piece of metal stuck through it. And that prevents all, all of the landing gear from, from coming up. Should, should someone select that lever? Now the, the gear selection lever was on purpose. It was part of that maintenance procedure, but man, such a costly mistake for a, tiny little oversight and they're and they're aircraft mechanics they should have known where the gear pin goes <laughs> <laughs> well, one should never make assumptions this is the trouble i think yeah, yeah oh no lee davis has got a comment in the chat room uh bloody hell got you on the big tv this is disturbing <laughs> yes i'll give you that we have that we have that problem all the time uh <laughs> slightly rude uh <laughs> So uh, to story. be fair, I, I don't know if our feed goes out in high definition. Otherwise, you would see like our. Oh no, we are. We this. are in. Uh, oh no, we are yes, in high definition. Yeah. yeah, we yeah, are in, in high def. Uh, 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 what do you mean ish? Yeah. How dare you? Yes, that's, um, that's HD circa 2010. Uh, okay, uh, I, I appear to have some kind of proof going on here as well. Let me just see if I can get this. Uh, let me just see. I'm just trying to press some buttons here. Uh, every, everybody, just you know, lay still for a minute. Uh, there we go. Okay, uh, I'll just just give you an update on the weather. It's currently 22.2 degrees Celsius here in there we go. Look, uh, in Bung- Actual proof that we're on telly. <laughs> oh wow. What are you doing there, Armando? That's slightly terrifying. Like going through a sobriety test. Well, well, quite, absolutely. We'll, we'll gloss over that and move on, shall we? Uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, anyway, dear. moving on to the next story. Some great pictures with this next story, and it's quite interesting. I, I do like this one. This is from uh, uh, yahoo.com, and uh, the X uh, 
or the A3, A350 XWB. So this is the Dash 900 versions. The Airbus A350 family of aircraft uh, flew four of the 10 longest routes in the world before the pandemic, and it currently flies the longest route in the world between New York and Singapore, operated by Singapore Airlines. But while flyers are lounging around in their plush lie-flat seats, or like us in those narrow, thin bits of plywood in the back, in economy, uh, flight attendants don't have that same luxury. Rather, they don't even stay in the passenger cabin. For their breaks, they retreat to a hidden hideaway above the passengers. So we take a look at where the flight attendants go when they need to rest on board this SAS Scandinavian Airlines Airbus A350-900XWB. So at the extreme rear of the cabin, nestled close to the aftmost galley, is a door, a secret door, and a set of stairs uh, that seemingly lead nowhere. Behind that door is a hostel-like setup, uh, which becomes the second home for cabin crew on ultra-long-haul flights. It's a narrow space, and climbing up and down the stairs takes some getting used to but once inside six bunks uh, comprise of the crew rest area uh, there's not much headspace and some crouching is required to navigate the uh, depart- other compartment uh, but each bunk has the essentials including a pillow blanket and mattress uh, pad to ensure a comfortable rest uh, but beyond that they are quite bare save for a few storage pockets and a reading light uh, seat belts are also installed and on, on most airlines resting flight attendants must be safely strapped in while in their bunks uh, there is further storage and emergency equipment in the aisles uh, in an emergency hatch which leads to the overhead lockers through which the crew can escape if there's emergency and the crew rest area is connected to the cabin b- below via an intercom allowing the flight attendants to keep communication uh, crew rest is mandatory on longer journeys and flight attendants will take turns in servicing their cabins while others rest so if your uh, favorite flight attendant disappears for a few hours it's likely that they're going uh, to have a rest upstairs so the pictures are on the screen matt's been flashing them up on the screen actually it's not it doesn't look too bad although i know i do know uh through through various uh, sources that some airlines do actually provide um ife uh for their uh crew i was gonna say that it's just like there's no ife in there that seems a bit mean but uh yeah i guess it's i guess it depends on the airline doesn't it and how much they value their crew it does. It does look comfy, though. I'm not going to lie. You know, I'd, I'd be happy. I mean, it's a lie flat sure. bed. However, you yeah, dress exactly. it up, it's a lie flat. I mean, you wouldn't want me anyway. I mean, I'd, the size of that door and I wouldn't get through it. <laughs> it would just be a bit too much. But uh, and you certainly wouldn't want me sleeping you anywhere near it because all you'd hear is the the sound of the airplane Snoring? being sucked oh. in and out essentially while I'm <laughs> trying to not snore. But uh, there we go. All part oh, of the fun. Yeah. It's, it's nice to see those parts of the uh, the the aircraft yeah, that we absolutely. sometimes obviously don't get a chance to well, see no, we don't. as passengers. So. No, indeed. So, Matt, you've got uh, a story that is a bit closer to home. Well, to, to our home, anyway. Right, OK. Uh, yes. Uh, this is uh, broken. Bear with me. <laughs> this one is on the, uh, yeah, the EDP24.co.uk. Yeah, uh, and the headline is, UK's largest aircraft seating test facility is to open in Norfolk. A Norfolk-based manufacturer of aircraft seating has received grant approval to build the largest commercially available aircraft seating test facility in the UK. Mirus Aircraft Seating currently has 2,500 squared metres uh, head office space in Hingham uh, and once the company brand uh, once the 
company's brand new 407 meters squared facility is complete, it will be the largest commercially available aircraft seating test facility in the UK. Construction of the new site will begin in September 2021, with the official opening scheduled for July 2022. Uh, grant approval was given by the New Anglia Local Enterprise Partnership Growing Business Fund, and uh, the facility will feature a state-of-the-art dynamic test sled, which is a bespoke device used for destructive or non-destructive crash t- crash test replication uh the uh, designed for high impact testing of automotive aerospace motorsport and rail uh vehicles the 30 meter long device is the most technologically advanced available the cost of building equipment equipping and manning the new facility will represent an investment of over four million pounds into the norfolk economy and mirrors has started a recruitment drive for numerous highly skilled jobs uh, based at its Hingham uh, Hingham HQ. Now, why does Hingham Brian, ring a bell with me? It's not, it's not that far from It's not actually that far from where Gemma's parents live. Oh, it's right. Okay. Is that, is, uh, am, I, am I having a moment? Is that near... Where, where's Lotus? That's uh, off the A47 Windham. if you're heading towards... Lotus is Bedford in Windham, way. Right? Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm no, Wyndham. No, you were correct first time. Well Wyndham. done. I think you're the only American to get that right ever. Like, <laughs> anyway, this was very kindly sent in to us uh, by Carl. Um, aren't Carl aren't you guys looking for new jobs? A new job. Come on, you you get to be like tra- crash test dummy. Why you're probably not going to be the crash test dummies sitting in the seats, but what a fun job would that would be, huh? Like you get to, you could be like crash <laughs> test Carlos, like John said, and. You could just, I don't know, hit the red button and watch a sled of airline seats plummet into a wall. I mean, no, I, just want, I just want the airline seats. I, I mean, I'd, I'd happily go and work there if we did make Carlos the crash test dummy. I would happily go go there and <laughs> Thanks, press the Matt. big red button. That, that, uh, Where's my that, eject uh, button? Did, yeah. <laughs> Indeed. Okay. Uh, I, right. think is, I think this is super cool. I, yeah. I would love it's opening in July 22, which is just slightly after our 400th episode so i think our 500th episode we've got the place (laughs) right join us for a crash testing show if if you say so i think is how fun would that be yeah am i going to be the only one here episode 500 yeah pretty much yeah uh, i think that's where we're going with that yes definitely thank you dirk Uh, thanks dirk (laughs) much appreciated oh dear yes indeed so uh next story then this is the um Number 12 on the list here. This uh, one comes to us from BBC.com and also Facebook.com. Uh, Tri- uh, teen pilot Travis Ludlow, youngest to fly solo around the world. So an 18-year-old pilot has broken a Guinness World Record to become the youngest person to fly solo around the world in a single-engine aircraft. Travis Ludlow from Ibstone, Buckinghamshire, oh, must be around the corner from Nev, uh, landed in the Netherlands on Tuesday, having spent 44 days completing the 24,900-mile or 40,072-kilometer-mile journey. Uh, at 18 years and 150 days old, he was 13 days younger than previous record holder. 
He said it was a strange feeling. The teenage pilot said for the first time in weeks he did not have to worry about getting up early, uh, going to bed late, uh, or difficult terrain that he might have to fly over, or storms. His record-breaking flight in his 2001 Cessna 172R took him across Europe through Russia and America before returning via Canada, Greenland, and Iceland. The planned route took uh, in about 60 stops across nine countries. Uh, now, Mr. Ludlow, his record has been verified and he has the certificate to prove it, he says. Uh, he also said he had an ambition to break the world record for flying solo around the world in an electric aircraft. And uh, note, we covered Travis's story as he was getting started on his around the world trip, taking off from Wickham Park in episode three six nine. Uh, so you can see that on there. But what? A, what? A, how bloody cool is that? It, and especially in, in a one seven two um, to go around the world because you know they are quite a sparse um, aircraft. You know, inside. You know, not well. Depends how posh this one it was inside i suppose it might, he might have glass uh, screens in there we'll have to get him on the show should we try and get him on the show guys uh, i have news on that actually <gasps> do you matt i do yes dun, dun, yes dun. absolutely uh I, I am fingers crossed uh should be with us in the next couple of weeks all being well um so we're hoping to have travis on the show very very shortly we're going to do Ooh. everything we can to to get them on i've uh, i've been liaising with uh, his pr um, his dad, basically, to to to, to get it all lined awesome. up. But hopefully, hopefully, news. joining us next week. So uh, uh, make sure you're here for that. Um, all being well. Wow. So, Mando, you've uh, got the next story, the last story on the commercial news this week. This is a quite a nice one to finish on. It is. It's a great segue from Travis's accomplishments. This is uh, this first part of the story is from SpectrumLocalNews.com. So th- this has to do with airlines often relying on military pilots to f- to fly their airplanes, which is true. They there are traditionally a lot of military pilots will separate from the service after just a few years and then go over to the airlines. And and it, as we've talked about on the show, because it's so expensive to be a pilot, to become an airline pilot, starting in the military helps alleviate that that cost. Um, as we're seeing now, some flights are getting canceled. We've done a couple of stories in the last couple months of the travel increase again. And one of the organizations that's actually trying to do something about this is the Civil Air Patrol. Specifically, this story is from Civil Air Patrol's New York wing. So each each state is a wing of the Civil Air Patrol. Um, they The Civil Air Patrol is actually the auxiliary of the United States Air Force. So there's the active duty, the guard, the National Guard, the reserve, and then there's the auxiliary. The CAP is actually trying to get teens interested in aviation by helping them get their private pilot licenses. They have this program called the Cadet Wings Program, which covers the cost of getting the the PPL, which is currently unbelievably about thirteen thousand uh, dollars U.S. dollars. This also this program also provides the cadets the necessary flying time to get the license uh, that they're going for. In this case, a PPL. So, according to one of their members, they said that that uh, his said that his son was part of the program. He said his son probably took his first flight at somewhere around the age of twelve. The cadets start at the age of 12 and they're allowed to fly our pilots with our pilots on cadet orientation flights. 
so at the age of 12, the cadet will go up with one of the Civil Air Patrol pilots. Now, right now, across the state of New York, there are about nine cadets in this WINGS program. The Air Force, the U.S. Air Force, as kind of the sponsor, has invested 1.8 million U.S. dollars into the WINGS program. If you're in the New York area or somewhere in the Northeast, these uh, nine Civil Air Patrol cadets will actually be at the Greater Binghamton Air Show. Uh, they're going to be there with the Air Force Thunderbirds. Now, this actually goes right into our next story, which is from the Air Force. This is from airforce.mil. So the Civil Air Patrol is celebrating a major milestone at as Cadet Chief Master Sergeant Andrew Wilson of the Texas Wing from the uh, Tex Hill Composite Squadron officially became the 100th cadet to earn his private pilot certificate through CAP's Cadet Wings program. The Wilson is 18 years old, and he received her, his certificate following a check ride with the FAA examiner on the 4th of July at the San Marcos Regional Airport just days before reporting to the U.S. Merchant Marine Academy. According to him, he said it was a good day. I'm excited to have it done, and he's excited for whatever comes next. He does eventually hope to become a military aviator. He said that is his goal and that he was leaning towards flying jets. Uh, now, funded by the Air Force, as I was just saying, to offset this pilot shortage, this scholarship program, it's, it's merit-based, it's about two and a half years old. The, the whole program is two and a half years old. And it uh, it actually covers all of the ground school, the flight training, and the check rides. And it has been challenging during the past 18 months, of course, during the pandemic, to get this done. But these cadets being just amazing uh, they they persevere through all all their challenges and they accomplish the, their private pilot license. So the headquarters uh, first Air Force commander, Lieutenant General Kirk Pierce, said that we we commend Cadet Wilson on his achievement, his service to his community and to our nation. Uh, CAP is a total force partner, and the U.S. Air Force needs people like Cadet Wilson to do its mission. Uh, CAP's national commander. Uh, Major General Mark Smith also congratulated um, Cadet Wilson on his accomplishment. So uh, there you go. This is just a fantastic program like many other out, others out there. Matt's got some pictures up there of some of the cadets have, that have achieved their uh, PPL through the Cadet Wings program. And as we were talking about with numerous guests, I mean, I would say 50% of the guests that we have on the show from the UK at least say that they got their, their start in aviation through the air cadets and, and the CAP is our equivalent here in the States. So fantastic achievements and well done. So it's the civil air uh, patrol, Armando, is that, is that part of the um, US air force? Or is that kind of funded by them? It is. It, it's a, it's a government non-for-profit corporation, right? So uh, it is its own corporation, but it is affiliated so closely with the U.S. Air Force that it is considered the auxiliary of the Air Force. So while it has a almost a corporate structure with a board of governors, um, most of 90% of the face of Civil Air Patrol is based on the U.S. Air Force and, and overseen by the U.S. Air Force. So, for example, when I'm flying, this is what I'm doing this weekend. Uh, I'm flying. I flew four cadets last weekend. I'm flying four cadets this weekend, and I'm flying six cadets uh, the weekend after that. So every weekend I'm flying these cadets, it's all United States air force money. And don't quote me on the numbers, but out of every 50 cadets that you fly, you know, 10 of them 
10 to 15 may go into aviation. Out of those, you may get five that actually join the military and, and will make a great uh, military member, whether they enlist in the military or become an officer in the military, wow. because they're going to have those, not just the aviation skills, but those leadership skills, those personal characteristics that, that the military is looking for in one of its candidate members. Yes. Yeah. Uh, John says 10% is pretty high. I, I agree. I think, and again, don't quote me on the numbers because the, the cadets are already there. They've already committed to the program. It's not as affiliated with schools at all. So it's something, an extracurricular that they're, uh, they don't pay a lot of money, but they but they are committing their time to go. So you've already got a certain level of commitment from both the cadets and the senior members that, that mentor them. So, so we have pretty good odds as to how many go into the military from there, but, but going into aviation. And, and I think that's why the air force is funding this. You know, they're spending almost $2 million a year because the return on that is, is uh, worth it. They supply all the, um, the, the paper, the, you know, the um, books and stuff. Uh, oh yeah. It's all paid for. Yeah. Uh, Carlos, there's no books anymore. It's all on. The- okay. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> Uh, yeah, let's see. So John's telling us, uh, do, do you guys want to cover this? This is, uh, uh, UK based. Yeah, this is a young flyer fun day. Uh, it's a free gliding event for young people. That's, that's us out then. <laughs> so, uh, this is, uh, a, fun, a young flyer fun day event on the 30th of July, which is, uh, it was a few weeks time, isn't it? Uh, aviation activities for young people aged from 10 to 16. That's definitely us out. Uh, fun practical activities, a chance of a flight in a glider simulator and the opportunity to see uh, the aircraft and what happens at a gliding club. Um, bring your sons and daughters along. It says learn amazing things about gliding and glider racing at the gliding center. Most of the women's world gliding championships in or host of the women's uh, world gliding championships in August, 2022. The event is free, but numbers are limited. So pre-registration is essential. Uh, this, uh, you can find out more, uh, all the W's dot the gliding center.co.uk forward slash stem forward slash. Now we'll put the links for that in the show notes. Uh, also worth, hus- worth mentioning hus- is husband's yeah. Hus- husband's, uh, Bosworth era, which <laughs> is halfway between, um, Leicester. Uh, between Leicester and Northampton, apparently. Mm. Thank you guys for putting in there. Otherwise I would have to Google husband's Bosworth. Husband's Bosworth. I must have put his place. I, I like the sound of it. I want to go and visit it purely because of the name. <laughs> yeah, it's either that or a character on Bridgerton or something. Oh, 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 don't, oh, don't open that can of worms. Oh, boy. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Yes, uh, we're being told there's lots of connections to war and stuff. But that's, that's, a, that's a, not a very nice subject. Let's move, let's move uh, on now. So... Uh, we're going to go to uh, military next, but before we do that, we're just going to have a very quick break. Uh, welcome to our London studios. Uh, welcome to the A320 Lounge uh, webinar uh, tech presentation, um, obviously for the 320 series. Welcome to the A320 and 737 Lounge, bringing technical refresher courses directly to you. Using our cutting-edge broadcasting facilities, enjoy a fully interactive technical refresher course from the comfort of your own home. All of our webinars are live and you can ask your instructor a question at any point during the day. 
All of our instructors are highly experienced and can help you. No more expensive nights away from home, no new software required, just an internet connection. Courses are run at regular intervals, so check out A320Lounge and 737lounge.com for more details. Okay, guys, there's a, a saying. Somebody told me once, a great philosopher, something about while the cat's away, the mice will play. I'm going to take advantage of Nev not being here. We're going to do some military. <laughs> Matt, hit the button. <laughs> All right, this first military story is coming to us from Davis Monthan Air Force Base in the great state of Arizona, which is currently suffering a tremendous heat wave. The Department of the Air Force has announced plans to move uh, close air support and rescue missions, including the A-10 Thunderbolt II, HH-60 Pavehawk Weapon Schools and Test Squadrons to Davis Monthan uh, Air Force Base beginning in fiscal year 2022. So that's October of 2021. The proposed plan would transfer these rescue and attack missions, aircraft, and personnel over to Davis Monthan as part of the Air Force's vision of making the base a center of excellence for close air support and rescue missions. So moving the A-10s and the uh, H-60s, along with them, is going to be one maintenance squadron. All of the supporting personnel from currently Nellis Air Force Base, which is outside of Las Vegas, and a small personal – this is going to result in a small personal increase at davis Monthan Air Force Base. So according to uh, the uh, Lieutenant General David Naum, the Plans and Programs Deputy Chief of Staff, the Air Force plans to modernize and maintain 218 of the current fleet of 281 combat-capable A-10s. While active duty combat squadrons at davis Monthan will close – the Air Force plans to bring the A-10 and H-60, sorry, HH-60 weapon schools and operational test squadrons from Nellis to davis Monthan. So this first phase of the proposed plan is going to be part of the 20, uh, fiscal year 22 budget. It's contingent upon the congressional approval of the retirement of 42 A-10 aircraft, 35 of which are currently at davis Monthan Air Force Base. So retiring these aircraft will create the fiscal and manpower flexibility required to design and, and uh, field the future force necessary to meet combat commander requirements. Combatant commanders are like your actual geographic commanders. Uh, so retiring the older A-10s in 2022 would allow Davis Monthan to receive these new missions. So this isn't completely set in stone, but no anticipated uh, obstacles. <laughs> Uh, the A-10 weapons instructor course and test evaluation operations will transition also in 2022. The uh, HH-60 test and combat coded units to include the 88th test and evaluation squadron, 66th rescue squadron, 58th rescue squadron, 34th weapon squadron, and the 855th aircraft maintenance squadron are all going to be in, uh, begin their move in 2024. Uh, so there you go. So if you're in the Tucson, Arizona area, you are already used to some helicopters and A-10s flying, but the Air Force is creating, like they said, a center of excellence. They have these all throughout the country where they amalgamate units and aircraft and personnel of similar or complementary skill sets. So the people that would, would deploy together and be employed together, 
they uh, are trying to to put them all into into one place. So that's going to make Davis Monthan a center of excellence for this. Now, if you want to see what actually happens with these airplanes and these these kinds of units, go to YouTube, uh, search for Inside Combat Rescue. It's a great TV show. I think it was 10 or 12 episodes about the uh, uh, HH-60 rescue guys doing combat operations in Afghanistan. Gives you a whole new appreciation for rescue helicopter flying in combat. So go check that out. It's an amazing documentary and uh, really, really focuses on on the people that that do that. So, yeah, thanks. It's a National Geographic documentary. But it's on YouTube. So anyway, uh, if you're in Davis Mountain, you don't have to watch the documentary. You can just go to the base or sit outside the gate and watch them do this. So, Carlos, if you want to yeah. take us back over to awesome. Europe. The, um, yeah. yeah, this is uh, on the DailyMail.co.uk and uh, video to go with this as well. This uh, is a video that shows a Russian Su-30 fighter jets buzzing a U.S. Poseidon spy plane over the Black Sea as another NATO ship is tracked by Putin's forces two weeks after HMS Defender, uh, Defender standoff. That was good. I remember that in the news. Uh, Russian fighter jets have been filmed buzzing a U.S. spy plane over the Black Sea in the latest standoff between uh, Moscow and Western powers in the contested region. Footage released by the Russian Defense Ministry showed two Sukhoi Su-30 fighters flying close alongside a Boeing P-8 Poseidon of the U.S. Navy on Tuesday evening. Oh, my word. And uh, the Kremlin said fighters were scrambled as the plane approached its airspace and blocked uh, in from violating the state border. Uh, It did not say where precisely the intercept happened, though it was likely to have been close to Crimea, which Russia considers to be part of its territory. But Western powers say it is Ukraine territory that has been illegally occupied by Moscow's forces. Then on Wednesday, Russia said it's tracking a Spanish warship in the Black Sea amid joint NATO and Ukraine or Ukraine NATO military exercises in the region, uh, which Moscow has condemned as provocation. It comes exactly two weeks after Russian warships and fighter jets shadowed uh, British warship HMS Defender as it sailed close to the coast of Crimea, with Moscow claiming warning shots and bombs were fired as it was chased away. Hmm, yeah, we believe that. Uh, the British Navy denies that account, saying no shots are fired at the vessel, uh, although it admitted uh, jets made low passes and Russian ships followed it as it sailed along the shortest route from Odessa towards Georgia. Uh, speaking about Tuesday's standoff in the skies, a Russian Defence Ministry spokesman said on the evening of the 6th of July, uh, Russian airspace control devi- uh, devices over the neutral waters of the Black Sea detected an air target approaching the state border of the Russian Federation. Two Su-30s were dispatched to identify the aircraft and prevent it from entering Russian airspace, according to the Russians. Uh, the crews of the Russian fighters identified the air target as a Boeing P-8 Poseidon and escorted it over the Black Sea. Uh, the flight of Russian aircraft was carried out in strict accordance with international rules for the use of airspace violation uh, of the state border of the Russian Federation was not allowed. There is no immediate comment from the US and no direct evidence that the plane had sought to encroach Russian airspace. 
I'm pretty sure that, you know, with the technology that's on board these aircraft, especially the P8 Poseidon, that um, I'm fairly confident that the, uh, the guys who are piloting that aircraft were well within where they should have been, Armando, do you think? Oh, yeah. And, and <laughs> you know, this is actually happening quite often. And the Black Sea is not a tremendously large geographic region. So this was actually all part of an exercise called Seabreeze. Uh, Seabreeze has, is an exercise that was from June 28th to July 10th. It had over 30 ships, 40 aircraft, 5,000 troops from 32 different nations. That included Japan, South Korea, Australia. Everybody sent some forces over to the Black Sea region to uh, exercise, to, to do uh, interoperability training. Now, the Russians, not to be outdone, are going to do a similar military exercise called Zapad. They do this every couple of years. They're going to do one in 2021 in September. They're going to do this with Belarus. And they're, they are openly saying that the event will focus on what Russia calls Western strategic direction. So it's, it's kind of this whole thing that just goes back and forth. This happens every single year. Uh, I don't know. I don't actually know that it happened during COVID. So maybe maybe COVID even stopped us from doing our our spy versus spy game. But uh, it's it's completely common. I put the story in here this week because I really enjoyed. We may have to cozy up to the Daily Mail because did you notice that they had video from both sides? They had video from from the P8 side and they had video of from the uh, SU30 side. So. Mm-hmm. I mean, now now that you've said that, that's I'm, I'm a bit scared by that. I'll be honest. I will be. Hey, uh, I you guys are like honest. Switzerland. The Daily Mail is like Switzerland. They're just neutral in the middle, of just collaborating with everybody's social. Oh, media Armando, bless you. I mean, the Daily Mail is a lot of things. I'm gonna say the the Daily Mail is a lot of things, my friend. But impartially, it ain't. There's no two ways. That's all right. That. We read a story from the New York Post earlier, and that's the, our version of the Daily Mail. Oh, okay, fair enough. Yeah, no, fair point. Okay. Uh, what I was uh, there was a comment that uh, Micah made in the chat room there, John. I wonder if you could just pop that up again for yeah, us. Yeah, Micah. Yeah, just like I was saying, Micah says this interception game has been played for years and years and years, even before Captain Nick used to do it. Well, quite. And Absolutely. that's old, right? Like, to fly, to fly a biplane against Good point. another biplane Good point. took a lot of... Yeah, that was, that was, it, was one of the right, it was one of the Wright brothers ones, wasn't it? I think Captain Nick intercepted <laughs> yeah. the Wright brothers. Did he? Right, in, yeah, yeah. A prom, in violation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, no, Micah's absolutely right. This happens not just in Europe. This happens all over the world. This <laughs> happens with the Chinese. It happens with the Russians in the Pacific. The guy was safe. Yeah. Nick doesn't listen to this. No, right. <laughs> yes, yeah. uh, Richard, Richard Adams says Daily Mailski. Yeah, I'll stay out of that one. Okay, <laughs> fair enough. You know, because I'm sure we have we have <laughs> listeners in Russia, in Russia, and uh, you know, we did. We don't now. You gotta, you gotta admit, they got some cool airplanes. They have some. I mean, <laughs> geez, we did the AN225 story. We're doing. Oh, Richard Adams. Story, so, okay. <laughs> uh, please, please read that one out, Armando. <laughs> Richard Adams. Uh, what's it? Before Captain Nick must mean when the Chinese used to fly manned kites. <laughs> oh man, Lane Street in the chat room says Captain Nick used to intercept airplanes in the balloons. Sorry, I took some artistic liberty. So 
Uh, Captain Nick probably did intercept the Montgolfier brothers as they crossed <laughs> the channel. Right. Okay. Uh, right. <laughs> it's uh, going to be so yeah. upset. You, 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 are, you are aware that we are going to get some kind of audio feedback or at least an email now, don't it's you? It's all right. You know what? This is in return because I was listening to them uh, the other day. And <laughs> we love said, you, Nick. They said, hey, this whole like 30-second VT clock and starting on time right at 4.30, that's not what we do here. <laughs> you know, they yes. say, you won't find that on this podcast. No, no, that is, that is you know true. What? We love those guys. I had a, a great chat with Captain Jeff this week. We caught up after, honestly, a, about a month of not talking uh, just because we've been so busy. But uh, we, the, we love those guys, and, and mm. uh, they we love do. us, I think. Um, I yeah. hope. I hope. <laughs> I hope until today. <laughs> yeah, until today. Yeah, Nick's not so keen. He's he's off us a bit. Although uh, I do seem to recall we received an email from Nick, uh, which we had to pass on to you. Actually, I'm on. A, I'll, I'll see if I can find it. John, John, perhaps will have a look while we're on air and see if he can find Nick. Uh, you can uh, email uh, the show at I am unimpressed at right. Um, okay. Somewhere. Anyway, well, uh, should we do, should we do another story uh, before uh, we end up like in yes. court or yeah. or something or both? Um, <laughs> let's, let's uh, finish this out. This is uh, oh no, actually we got two more, don't we? We do. Uh, so this next one is from Aviación Online, and oh, actually very clever. Aviación Line is what they've done. Uh, the Colombian Air Force just received their first two Beechcraft T six Texan two training aircraft. Uh, their training aircraft. They arrived in Colombia. They in twenty twenty they bought eight of them. So according to a press release from the Colombian Air Force, uh, the official reception ceremony took place at Air, Air Combat Command Number 1. It was attended by the Minister of National Defense, Diego Aponte, and General Ramses Rueda Rueda, the commander of the Colombian Air Force. The two T-6 Texan twos were put into service for the training of military pilots. Uh, these aircraft have the latest technology that will allow strengthening of capacities and development of skills for the pilots um, of it of the Colombian Air Force. Now the T6 has been characterized as the safest and most rigorously tested military training aircraft with high acceptance and high reliability. Low wing, its aerodynamic features give that uh, give it a, a high maneuverability at low and high speeds. So with the arrival of these aircraft, uh, it, it, it uh, signifies a generational change where the 13. I can't believe they still use them. T-37 tweets, uh, the aircraft that complete, com- completed more than 50 years of service with the military forces, they were being used for military flight, flight training right up until these T-6 Texans. Um, this, According to the Colombian Air Force, they said this country needs a modern air force for its defense. It needs well-trained, well-qualified pilots to have in their hands the best tool for the defense of national sovereignty. Today, we give these young Colombian pilots the best aircraft to train uh, who will be the pilots who will integrate and develop the Air Force of the future. Uh, that is a translation from the speech by uh, General Rueda Rueda, the commander of the FAC. Um, yeah, so there you go. So they are uh, T-6s. This is the same move that the U.S. Air Force did. They went from T-37s to T-6 Texans. And additionally... These aircraft were uh, are, are probably able to be modified for combat operations. So they they are built with the necessary hard points. Where if they needed to 
load some some weapons onto them, they'll, they'll probably be able to do it. And even the training version of the aircraft has most of the avionics that you need to conduct uh, combat operations. So it's a it's a true multi-role airplane. Unlike the, I don't even know how old the tweet is. <laughs> it, Oh my gosh! Lane Street in the chat room says the tweets are so old that even Captain Jeff flew them. <laughs> so yeah, I do. I do actually believe that Captain Jeff started in the uh, in the. Have, have you flown a T six, Armando? Or no, I've never flown a T six. Oh okay. No, I flew a tweet back in the day. So okay. there you go. Sorry, I'm actually in that club too. Wow. Um, all right, Matt, are you up for taking a military story? Um, uh, yeah, why not? Um, what could possibly go wrong there? Um, this, one is, this one is half in Slo- Slovenian, so oh. good luck. Thanks. Um, <laughs> hang on a moment. I'm just, uh, uh, we, we had a little bit of a, a technical outage that we're just rapidly uh, dealing with, but I think we're under control now. So this is on the aviationist.com, and the headline is Slovenian Army to become the first military operator of an all-electric uh, trainer on June, June 29th, 2021. The Minister of Defence of the Republic of Slovenia, uh, Matej uh, uh, Tonin, uh, visited uh, Pipistrel's headquarters in uh, Slovenia and signed an agreement to test various Pipistrel-made uh, aircraft for basic training purposes. The Slovenian army will test a virus SW-121, uh, a Velus Electro, the four-seater Panthera and the uh, simulator Velis X Alpha VR Pipstrel will also provide uh, pilot familiarization and train army mechanics for pre-flight inspections and basic maintenance of the above-mentioned planes. The MOD will in return enable Pipstrel to use uh, will will enable Pipstrel the use of the is it the Pokek? Is it possibly Pocek? Uh, Pocek, Pocek, sorry, military range uh, and the areas of the um, <laughs> nearby nearby airbase. <laughs> uh, <the laughs> indeed, uh, the Slovenian army also uses two Zlin one four three and eight Zlin two four two aircraft that will be replaced in the next uh, in the next few years for basic training of the cadets. The evaluation of the aircraft will start soon. Uh, making Slovenia the first military operator of an all-electric plane. The Danish MOD already signed a leasing contract for two Velus Electros earlier in June, but the deliveries are scheduled for September. Tonin commented the uh, agreement as a move into the direction of a green defence. The Velus Electro is the first type certified electric aircraft in the world, while the Rotax 912 S3 powered virus sw121 uses less than 50 percent fuel of uh, army's zlins uh, the army will evaluate also the four-seater panthera and uh, after that will decide which type will replace the aging zlin 143s and the 242s the company and the mod agreed also on a special partnership with the purpose of obtaining as much funding as possible from nato and the european Union for development projects and already mentioned 
a study for a new system to contrast the drones. Uh, The Slovenian MOD is proud to cooperate with and support the national industry. By using such aircraft, the Slovenian army has given a clear message to its allies within NATO and wider that these are exceptionally high quality aircraft which can be used also by other armed forces, the the Slovenian uh, minister said. And uh, interesting, it says at the okay. bottom here that the Pipistrel's biggest single score in the defence market was the winning of a contract within the Indian MOD in 2015. Uh, the company delivered 194 Virus SW80s that Gurada uh, in the Italian armed, uh, the Indian sorry, armed forces. There we go. Well interesting done. aim for a, for an aircraft, a, a virus. Uh, yeah, it's the bellies, if you want to if you want to pop up some of the some of the C four pictures there, the 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 Pipistrol Panthera is actually if you go, I'm plugging everything on YouTube today, but if you go to YouTube and and search for the Pipistrol Panthera, it's actually an incredibly efficient uh, four seat aircraft, and it's incredibly high performance also. So it it uh, the Panthera will probably rival in the future anything that Cirrus makes. Uh, there's not that many four seat composite aircraft out there with that kind of performance. Maybe a Lancer or RV uh, RV twelve something like that. That's a metal airplane, but um, yeah. It, so this is a huge deal for Pipistrol, and to be honest, an electric aircraft is perfectly suited for for primary flight training because i can't imagine that the slovenian air force has the sortie generation ratio that we do or or our our tempo that we do here in the u.s or so if they can go fly debrief for a couple hours or the aircraft charge or, or maybe it's just a battery swap out type thing it uh it's going to be work out really really well for them and Military training is so expensive for governments. I mean, anything that you can do to to maximize that budget is uh, is a positive thing. Richard Adams in the in the chat room is saying that the virus gets great reviews in Pilot Magazine, and um, mm. several flight schools have them on order. So it we absolutely have, we have makes sense. We, yeah, we've it got makes one at Beckles actually. The Pipistrel, the virus. Yeah, between the electric aircraft and the Rotax powered. Um, aircraft, the, the virus is oh, very cool. You know, it's the wave of the future. Yeah, they do. They do flights now. Actually, near me and me and Matt are here. Um, they do half-hour flights in the Pipistrelle for ninety-nine quid, ninety-nine pounds for half an hour, which is See, uh, not bad. Interestingly, I don't know that we can do that quite quite yet in the U.S. because the Pipistrelle is here not certified. I think it's certified as a light sport. And I'm not entirely, don't quote me on this, but I'm not entirely sure that you can use a light sport aircraft for hire or compensation here in the U.S. So um, you guys may be just a little bit ahead of us on those regulations allowing that. Yeah, they've been using it for quite a while here now, actually, near us. You, you can't miss it because it, the, the engine noise is, um, sounds like a hairdryer going over. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the Rotax engine always sounds like yeah. it's about to fall apart because yeah. it's... It's revving at something 
something dumb like 5,000, 6,000 RPM. When it, and, when it takes off from Beckles on Monday, you should see it. I'm standing there watching it, and it, it's almost like it's standing or sitting still in the air, hardly moving. It must be doing like, like three knots with a, yeah. with a tailwind. But it's so loud. Yeah. I, yeah. You know what uh, Richard Adams says? We need a Carlos test flight and review. So <laughs> I'll send you some GoPro cameras, and you can uh, make this happen. Oh, blimey. Yeah, I'll bring Matt with me. He can uh, do the camera work. No. Yeah. Well, anyway, okay. thanks, for, thanks for hanging in there for the military stories with me, guys. So uh, social media links then uh, for the show, for those of you guys and girls who may not already follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Uh, don't forget to uh, search for us on the social medias, uh, Plain Talking UK. And also on the uh, WhatsApp number, if you want to get your picture on the... Uh, actually, Matt's picture tonight is really good. I love that one. Uh, your plus 447572249166 is the number to text the picture to. And I'll even bung it on the behind me on my green screen, if you like, as well. Uh, don't forget to check out our website, allawlies.plaintalkinguk.com. On there, you'll find links to our shop where you can treat yourselves to a PTUK T-shirt or a mug, as Armando showed you guys earlier. Uh, you'll also find the links on there to our Patreon page and our PayPal if you want to become a Patreon on PayPal donator of the show. And don't forget, those of you who do uh, uh, PayPal and Patreon to the show will get access to those awesome videos uh, from Armando as well. Uh, you'll also find the Amazon link on our website. If you do your shopping via the link on Amazon, just click on that and do your shopping. It doesn't cost you anything, uh, but gives us a small referral fee on there so uh thank you to uh, to you guys for using that uh, link um so that's it sort of wrap up uh, the show then guys and girls it's been a great show tonight excellent chat room as always uh, but we'll have a quick round robin to see what everyone is up to this week so uh actually 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 Dirk does make a very interesting point. We uh, we have uh, got the caption this, uh, which we're going to bring you next week because we run out of time this week. But we will have that on next week, so don't panic. We might even do a double one next week. Oh, never same. If we have time. Uh, but uh, Matt, what are you up to next week? Me, I should be mostly sleeping because I've got to get over the fact that I've been getting up at four a.m. this last week to be honest with you so your show has been fantastic (laughs) i wouldn't go that far but uh, mainly because of what you can hear in the background here with my slightly ropey voice but uh, yeah it's mostly a week of sleeping i think and uh, and a bit of uh, chasing uh, courier deliveries Uh, that's probably what i've got next week we shall miss your dulcet tones on the radio this sunday on Oh yes, well somebody's sitting in for me because they've actually because I've done five days already. They've very kindly said I can have Sunday off, and uh, <laughs> Carlos is covering me. So he, he, Carlos is on the radio both days over the weekend. You're oh, you're one what ten till one on uh, Saturday, and then two till five on Sunday, aren't you? Yes. There you go. See, uh, I have got uh, a wedding to do tomorrow night again. Ooh. Another wedding, my third wedding this year. It's all exciting, I know. And actually, this wed- tomorrow night's wedding is going to be quite. Uh, interesting for me because it's back at the at the venue that me and Gemma uh, had our wedding no. reception at oh, that's where Matt be was as well uh, so Armando what are you up to next week uh, let's see tomorrow I am flying skydivers all day long uh, last week was a blast because Steph and I were on the same frequency so I was mm-hmm. I was actually flying down in uh, Monroe which is closer to her neck of the woods so hopefully tomorrow I'll be on the same frequency again as Steph. As she's flying skydivers, I'll be flying skydivers. 
Um, and then Sunday, flying air cadets all day long. And the rest of the week, not a whole lot going on. Just uh, hanging out. You know, at this point, we're just getting ready to school start, uh, start school back up for kids here. So just kind of taking advantage of all the time off. Yeah, absolutely. I don't what a terrible time you have, Armando. Honestly, yeah. actually, can I just can I just say special shout out? The, the, say the picture uh, that is behind me that you mentioned there. Now, actually, this was sent to me by Jonathan Warner, and it's been sent for a very special reason because he's officially in mourning at the moment because this picture here oh. was taken from a certain react Re-act. that would have been starting uh, this weekend. Uh, so, uh, and this I think was yeah, back sure. from 2013, I think when uh, where these were taken. So. Uh, yeah, that's uh, that's the reason why we went for this picture, obviously, because it should have been the start of React this weekend, uh, and unfortunately, uh, obviously, because of stupid, stupid COVID, that is not the case. So that's where we are going to bring this week's show to a close, episode number three hundred and seventy-six. Thanks everyone for tuning in. Thank you to everyone in the chat room. Uh, and have a safe weekend and a great weekend but from me carlos here in my studio from matt in the ptuk master suite studios from armando in his sprawling uh, state manor studios in charlotte <laughs> and from john our producer john who's done loads of work this week as well with the show thank you to you john over in his home studio uh have a great weekend everyone take care and see you next friday goodbye everyone bye everyone bye,